Well, we are continuing on in our series in the narrative of, of Joseph as well as Judah. Haven't heard much from Judah, but we will get to that, Lord, Lord willing. So we are in chapter 41 this morning, but not the entire chapter. I'll read the first 32 verses. <clears throat> After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven years of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, Oh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they'd eaten them, no one would have known they'd eaten them, for they were still as, as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. 
But after them there will rise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And a doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Let's pray. Your word is truth, O God. It directs our course. It is a lamp and a light. And we are not without direction because we have your word. We are not without hope because we know your word. So, Lord, even now, may it burn in our hearts that we might be obedient, that we might have joy even in our struggles in this corrupt and difficult world. Lord, you are good and you are glorious and you are doing a good work even as you showed Pharaoh what you were about to do. So, Lord, you show us what you are doing even now. Though we might not know, we walk by faith and not by sight. We fix our eyes on things which are unseen and not upon the seen. And thank you that we have Jesus. Thank you that we have His Word, the fullness of it from Genesis to Revelation, Your Word, inspired, inerrant, sufficient for all things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. To God be the glory. Great things You have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, up until this time, Joseph had only been suffering. There is one word that occurs multiple times in the narrative up through this chapter, and you probably have noticed it. It's the word pit. It occurs in chapter 37 when Joseph's brothers threw Joseph into a literal pit in the ground, and he was there for some time. In chapter 40, he referred to his prison cell as the pit. And again, that word is used in chapter 41 and verse 14 when he was lifted out of the pit. So get that in your minds. For 13 years, from age 17, some of us here are 17, till age 30, great years, important years, the whole decade of the 20s, for 13 years, Joseph's life had been in the pits. He knew only disappointment after disappointment, mistreatment after mistreatment, injustice after injustice. And then literally overnight, his life changed in a most dramatic fashion. Joseph had interpreted the two officials' dreams with pinpoint accuracy. The cupbearer was reinstated to his position, and the baker was hanged just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Nevertheless, two more years passed by with no change. Joseph still wasting away in prison with nothing but his memories and his unfulfilled dreams while he waited and waited and waited, the injustice standing. His reputation ruined and his imprisonment seemingly without end and still forgotten by the chief cupbearer. 
he had done nothing wrong. Not to his brothers, not to Potiphar's wife, not to anyone. And yet the guilty were free. And the innocent was in prison. Would you have lost hope? Would you have given in to despair? Joseph's pleading with the cupbearer showed how much he longed for freedom. And he longed to see his father again and his brother Benjamin, whom he loved. And yet they didn't even know he was alive. They knew nothing about him. So cut off from family, without friends, without visitors to encourage him. How did he maintain hope? How did he avoid complete despair and depression while he waited? Well, by clinging to his faith in God and by clinging steadfastly to the promise, to the word that he had received from his God. The inspired author says, faith is the assurance of things not seen, the convict, the, uh, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Joseph never forgot his dreams. He knew that God had spoken in them of things he had not yet seen, things that had not yet come to pass, but because God had spoken of them, things which certainly would come to pass, which God would cause to bring to pass. So though he was being tested severely and for a long time, he could be patient. As hard as that would be, he endured by faith, by his faith, he maintained hope. There is no other way. There is no other way, beloved. Trust in yourself. I don't care what you have. You might have incredible knowledge. You might have great physical strength. You might have great wealth. Trust in yourself and you will eventually despair because everything gives out. Everything will fail. All things will pass away. What endures? The Word of God. Because God is unchanging and because God is faithful. Joshua would say to Israel, not one word has failed. Of all the good things the Lord your God has promised concerning you, all have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. We often have to wait, and yes, sometimes for long periods of time. But as we wait for God to fulfill His Word, we also can maintain hope even when things seem hopeless. Because God is faithful, we can be certain that He will fulfill His promise. And while we wait, He calls you to be faithful I thought during the week of that movie released several years ago by Sherwood Church down in Albany, Georgia. They've released several, as you know. One of them was called Fireproof, and that's the story which probably you've seen, hopefully you've seen. The story of a couple fighting on the brink of a divorce, and while after time the Lord softened the man's heart through the counsel and help of his father, his wife was still flirting with another man. And so he was forced to wait, 
but his father had taught him that he also had to be faithful while he was waiting. I want to play you just 94 seconds of a song while I'm waiting. Listen, just 94 seconds. And at the end of two whole years, Pharaoh had a dream, actually two dreams. You notice the dreams in our narrative always come in pairs. And both dreams were similar, of course, and they clearly had the same meaning. And Joseph would say that God gave Pharaoh two dreams to show them that the thing is fixed by God and he will shortly bring it about. Now, Pharaoh's dreams, we will see that uh, they are dreams that involved Egypt's natural resources and prosperity, the Nile River and their grain fields, things upon which Egyptian life depended. And we know that each dream started out very pleasantly, right? You had seven well-fed, healthy cows grazing in the grass, and you had seven ears of corn, seven ears of grain plump and good on one stalk, and each of these would have been a very pleasant sight, a satisfying dream to Pharaoh, perhaps as we might enjoy a, a view off the Blue Ridge Parkway, as I did recently, or perhaps of the Big Sur along the Pacific Coast, one of my favorite places in the whole world, or perhaps watching your baby sleeping peacefully, or your grandchild sleeping peacefully and quietly, or maybe you observe grazing animals in a, in a, or a field of healthy crops. Have you been to Iowa in August? It's beautiful in its flatness. Or for some of us, let's be honest, an Italian supercar or superbike. I saw an Aston Martin about a, a week ago. and Okay, we call that eye candy. James Bond car. Well, Pharaoh would have found these initial dreams to be peaceful and satisfying, especially because these were things important to Egypt, things upon which Egyptian life depended. 
But immediately in each dream, that which was good and lovely and pleasant is destroyed and devoured by something ugly and gross and repulsive, repulsive that appeared very suddenly. Seven ugly and gaunt cows, emaciated and scrawny and sickly, who appeared and just ate up the good plump cows, and yet they were still sickly and gaunt and gross. And seven ears of corn that were thin and scorched by the east wind, devouring the, the seven good ears. And you can imagine, if you sort of put yourself in that place, the shock and the offense and the ugliness of it all. Pharaoh reported that he had never seen in all of his years such ugliness in all the land of Egypt. But what was especially so nasty, so repulsive, is that the good and the beautiful was ruined and lost by that which was ugly and gross. If I can use this as an example, I remember the first time I crossed the U.S. border from San Diego down into Tijuana, Mexico, and I found Tijuana. The people there, by the way, are beautiful people. Uh, some of the most hospitable people. They literally, I felt they were giving me, giving us their last meal. I felt embarrassed by taking what they gave us. But generous and good and loving people. But Tijuana was just gray and colorless. And can you imagine then if somehow Tijuana swallowed up San Diego which is just across the border, but it's rich with, with colors and it's beautiful. And if Tijuana swallowed up San Diego and somehow San Diego, San Diego was, was just the same, and it all happened in the blink of an eye, it would be emotionally traumatic, especially if in a dream it seemed so real, you might wake up shaking, disturbed, troubled. You know, we want the good to overcome the evil. We need, we do, we need the good guy to beat the bad guy, don't we? That's why these days, I'm not into this, but these days superhero movies are big deals, grossing big profits. And some of us, perhaps a little bit older, we grew up in the days of Roy Rogers, Matt Dillon, the good guys that always beat, I mean, yes, they were threatened, yes, they were troubled, but in the end, the good beat out the bad, and ah, it was good. We could go play with the kids again, right? But when evil overcomes the good, it's very disturbing. We have a hard time handling that. And so it's no wonder that Pharaoh was so troubled, so disturbed by these dreams. He had a tough time getting his mind off them. They replayed over and over in his mind, even while he was awake. And he had to discover what they meant. And so he called upon the best of the best, his magicians, his wise men, those with PhDs, those with backgrounds, those that knew mysteries. But there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Strange, is it not? I mean, really, wouldn't it have been all that difficult to proffer even something of a guess? I mean, the dreams were very Egyptian. The Nile River, grain fields, cows. And who dreamed the dreams but the ruler of all of Egypt? I mean, so might you not even guess that the cows and grain symbolize Egypt's prosperity? 
And might you not even guess that the destruction of the good cows and the grain symbolized the loss of Egypt's prosperity? And yet, these wise men had not even a clue. Because God has blinded them to His revelation. As Isaiah prophesied, the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning men shall be hidden. And, and Paul wrote years and years later that the things of the Spirit of God, the revelation by the Spirit of God is what? Spiritually discerned. You must have the mind of Christ. And so the unregenerate, those without the Spirit, okay, those not born again, they don't understand God's Word. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And so Pharaoh couldn't understand this dream or these dreams, and nor did his wise men. But there was one who did, one who could, Joseph, because God was behind all these events to bring Joseph out of the prison, out of the pit, that his promise would in fact be fulfilled. Psalm 105, I referred to some weeks ago, refers to Joseph's suffering, Joseph being enshackled until what? Until the word that he had said came to pass. God's promise will always be fulfilled. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of how long. But know that God's word will always be fulfilled. And finally, the cupbearer remembered Joseph. I want to say, Shazam! <laughs> but those of you who are young don't even know what that refers to. <laughs> he finally remembered Joseph because he had been once in the, in the identical predicament. He also had a dream once with none to interpret until Joseph, right? And God, in this way, gets all the glory. It's revealed that God is the one who's doing this. God is the one at work. God is the one behind all these events, all these details, all the threads of this tapestry to bring about His good purposes, right? And it's this way that we might always trust Him, trust His care, trust His Word, that He will do as He has says. He is with us always to do good. I used to love listening to the sermons of Dr. James Montgomery Boyce and reading his books. I still have a number of them. And he wrote this regarding this story. We learn from this that God is never at a loss to bring about what He desires. We might ponder how it would be possible to get Joseph, the condemned slave, out of the prison and into the palace. We might devise one intrigue after the other, all of which would probably take many years and end in failure. But in a night, God sends a dream. And before the next day runs its course, Joseph is not only out of the prison and in the palace, but he is the prime minister of Egypt. This truth should be a cause of joy to each Christian. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So hearing that indeed Joseph had interpreted the cupbearers and the baker's dreams with pinpoint accuracy, Pharaoh immediately calls for Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit because God had a wonderful plan for Israel. As in Jeremiah 29, 11, I bet you know that verse, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And Joseph would have the opportunity to faithfully bear testimony to God's power and God's grace. But first, he had to be made presentable to Pharaoh because, after all, he had been in a dirty prison. Imagine, his hair was probably long and it was greasy and his face was dirty and he had probably a long beard and his clothes were ratty and torn and dirty and filthy. Maybe he was barefoot. Maybe his fingernails looked like a the claws of a monster. I don't really know. But one author says this. Alongside the obvious reversal of fortunes, there's a more subtle reversal here. Each of Joseph's mis- previous misfortunes involved him being stripped of his clothes. His brothers took his fancy cloak, and Potiphar's wife grabbed his outer garment. Here, his restoration began with the transformation of his clothing. Well, you know what? Spiritually, so does yours and mine. Our transformation begins with a change of clothing because you can never be presentable before God the King wearing the clothes of your sin and your unrighteousness, okay? You must, if you were to be in His presence. You can only be clothed in the the robe of Christ's righteousness, which He gives by grace to anyone, anyone who comes to Him by faith, but never at all through your own efforts. I don't know if you have this, but some years ago, R.C. Sproul wrote a book called The Priest with Dirty Clothes. Do you have it? My copy is signed by R.C. Sproul. So it's a little bit more of a treasure. But it's about a priest who finds himself with dirty, nasty garments. He was on his way to appear before the king, but he couldn't because in his shame he couldn't appear in these nasty garments. This is, I'll give you the punchline, read the story. But the prince, the king's son, the prince, offered to give him his princely garments. And so there you go, right? The son of the king, Jesus, gives us his own perfect princely righteous robe that we would be clothed, that we might be presentable before the king of kings. But consider the risk that Joseph took. It's not always easy to faithfully proclaim the gospel, is it? Sometimes there's a threat implied or maybe real. Do you know the name Bruce Hunt? Presbyterian missionary in middle 20th century. And he wrote a book telling his story. It's called For a Testimony. And this was the story of his imprisonment. And he was a missionary to Korea when World War II broke out and ultimately Japan uh, conquered Korea and was the power over there. And he was imprisoned because of his testimony for Christ as a missionary. And he would be taken from his prison cell, and he would be interrogated on occasion. And on one occasion, he was asked, Mr. Hunt, maybe they didn't call him that or not, but Bruce, what, do you believe it's necessary for the Japanese emperor, who was considered a god, by the way, for him to believe in Jesus for salvation? 
Bruce responded with the words of Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, fair enough. But the man asked, nevertheless, do you believe, according to the verse you just quoted, that it's necessary for the emperor to believe in Jesus, to be saved, and apart from that, he'll be lost. I mean, it was just like, he's a god. I mean, this is crazy. And Mr. Hunt said this, yes, I believe that the emperor is a mere man like any of us, and that unless he believes in Jesus, the Son of God, he will suffer eternal punishment. Okay? Regarding the Japanese emperor, under whose authority he was in prison. Yet he was faithful, and God was exalted and glorified. In a similar way, Joseph needed to humbly and yet boldly proclaim the truth regarding God. Okay? Because like the Japanese emperor during World War II, Pharaoh was also considered a god. And Joseph was about to boldly contradict that. His testimony was that Pharaoh's understanding was limited. I mean, he couldn't even understand his own dreams, right? Nor could his wise men. But there is a God who Joseph represented who reveals secrets. Furthermore, not only could Pharaoh not protect his people's prosperity at all times, but again, yes, there is a God who can. A God far far, far greater than Pharaoh. Well, clearly, Pharaoh might not exactly welcome that word. Uh, sorry, not Pharaoh. Yes, Pharaoh might not exactly welcome that word, right? But Joseph would not fail to proclaim it. And so he did. And he said, this is fixed by God. This is what God will certainly do. And it's going to happen pretty quickly. And we'll see next Sunday, Lord willing, that not only did Pharaoh not reject Joseph's word, but he welcomed it. And he welcomed Joseph himself because God was behind all these events to accomplish his purposes. Just think about it. Yesterday, Joseph was in the pit. Today, he's moving into the palace. Amazing. And not as a lowly servant, but as the highest ruler in all of Egypt except Pharaoh himself. And once again, God is revealing the Christ, His Son, for our redemption. Jesus also would suffer. Oh, He would suffer the frailty of human weakness and limitation, the persecution of false accusation and unjust charges, the pit of the cross and the tomb. But following His humiliation... God the, Falter, God the Father exalted His Son, not as second in command, but as King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler over all nations, not just one, the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one who rescues His people from death. He is the one 
who gives his people a place to live. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I mentioned last time that Joseph actually asked the cupbearer for the, the Hebrew word is chesed. Okay, it's this covenant faithfulness. Okay, it's steadfast love or kindness. And it is this concept of, of covenant commitment. It's what God gives to us because of Jesus. So Jesus had to suffer because only by his suffering could we, his suffering heirs, be exalted as the forgiven children of God. And only by his suffering could the nations be blessed and could they be gathered together as the blessed and forgiven people of God, as God's holy people. I don't know if you've read this weekend's table talk, but the author of the devotional this weekend, said this, His suffering guarantees our glory. Therefore, when life gets hard, the cross tells us that God is love even when He seems hidden. And so we wait now. We suffer now. Yes, hurt, injustice, maybe persecution, infirmity, weakness, loss, all these things. But like Abraham, who, having patiently waited, obtained the promise, so Jesus brings all who believe from the pit into the palace, into his home, that where he is, we may be also. This thing also is fixed by God. And that is our hope. And that hope is the thing that sustains us now and even more gives us the courage, in fact, to be faithful while we wait for His deliverance from whatever our pit is. See, as the word Joseph received so many years before this, finally came to pass, so, all, so will all of God's promises regarding salvation and judgment come to pass. So be encouraged. Be heartened, dear ones. And don't also forget to encourage one another. Oh, Lord God, such news is staggering. To hear about Christ just begins to blow our minds because His glory is above all that we could ever imagine or think or experience. Though we are weak, yet He is strong. Though we suffer now, yet He once suffered and yet rose from the dead. And so all in Christ someday also shall rise. And so, Lord, we wait. We wait now, and yet we would be faithful. Lord, give us the courage to be faithful to the end, for those who endure to the end shall be saved. And you shall fulfill your word, you shall fulfill your promises. In this, we are satisfied and content. Beyond that, Lord, as the 
as we heard earlier in the service, that is way more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen.